Welcome back to the Father-Daughter Book Club. I am the father, soon to be joined by the daughter, to conclude our discussion on Madeline Langle's classic novel, A Wrinkle in Time. Previously, we learned that the Murray children, Meg and Charles Wallace, and their friend Calvin were swept up into a cosmic battle between good and evil, and that they are now traveling through the galaxy to find their father. We're going to explore themes such as conformity and courage and love and answer the age-old question, if you could time travel, where or rather when would you go? So thank you once again for joining Father Daughter Book Club. Please enjoy the episode and come back again. So they go from Uriel and they make, I think, one or two other, uh, not from Uriel, but they go from the Happy Medium's planet. They don't actually give the name of the planet no. that the Happy Medium is on, but they go from there to Kamazots. And that's where the children are charged with their mission. Go find and rescue your father. And they find that the Kamazots is this really strange planet. It's a lot like Earth. The You know, the people are there, look, look like humans. But they're not. They, um, they, they actually think that they're robots, but they're not. Yeah, they're, they're very... Robotic is a good way to put it. They observe... It seems like they're controlled or and they, something. They observe that they're... You know, first of all, they live in the town where all the homes are alike. It seems like everybody, you know, is kind of this uniform. They all bounce. They notice that people are all bouncing a ball, but like at the same, like they notice this rhythm. Everybody's doing certain thing based like on a clock, it seems. And it's really strange. And they learn that there's this place called Central Intelligence or is it Central Central Intelligence or something like that. And that's where they need to go. That's where they need to go, and they and they go there, and they, that's where they come across the man with the red eyes. Ooh, the man! Yeah, you remember? What do you remember about the man with the red eyes? <laughs> I don't really. When I read about him, it kind of like brought a chill down my neck. Yeah. It just seemed like he was this evil being that was controlled by it. Yeah. That's what's strange. So I don't know if the man with red eyes himself is evil, but he's kind of like it's minion, the black things minion who's controlling things on the planet. So we talked about how maybe the black thing has put it, which is like a brain, a brain on the planet to control the planet. Well, then it then takes a person from the planet to be the representative because you can't have this spongy brain walking around right it's easier and plus the brain doesn't communicate with words right because there's no mouth on the brain so the brain so now you have the man with red eyes who's this puppet for it who's trying to convince the children that they need to conform along with everybody else and also this is where mrs what's it or what's it or whatever one of them told them that they had to be, that Charles Wallace had to be careful and to not get too proud and to not have pride because that would essentially kind of break him. And he yeah, has essentially like closed himself down from the man with the red eyes. And then he tried to open so that he can understand him. And then that just made him a minion. Like everyone that, else. That made him vulnerable to the, the 
the it's yeah the it's the black thing it's control right so uh, his again we talked about how his abilities become important in this story and because he has the ability to connect emotionally with people to open himself up more um he has a more intuitive way of communicating with it but because he has that ability it's able to take advantage of charles wallace and then control charles wallace much like it's controlling the black uh the man with red eyes and everyone else on kim's office yeah pretty much pretty much and so they also give this scenario about like because they were starving and it pretty much looked like a fake dinner. So it's trying to... Open Charles Wallace. Not only Charles Wallace, but it's trying to convince the children that the way things are on the planet, where everybody's conforming to the same thing, everybody's alike, it's trying to convince the, the Murrays and Calvin that that's the best way. So why don't you just sit and eat? Here, you're hungry? Here, eat some food. And, and just trying to basically... It's synthetic food. Get their guard down, though, right? Trying to get their guard down so that it can take control of them. It even convinces Charles Wallace that the only way to really know it and to understand it is to um, open himself up. And so when Charles Wallace does that, that's when Charles Wallace becomes vulnerable and gets controlled by it. And because when he tried tasting it, because Meg and Calvin... It was the best to a turkey dinner that they could get for them. But when Charles Wallace ate it, it just tasted like plastic and synthetic food. Because so, he hadn't opened himself up. Right? Yeah, and Meg and Calvin can't do that. Right. They can't, like, shut himself. They can't shut themselves down as well as Charles Wallace can, nor open themselves up. So that's why Charles Wallace has, like, closed himself and then opens and that happens. Yeah, what do you think about this concept that it is trying to get them to believe in, which is... Everybody should be the same! Yeah, what do you think about that? I don't like it. Why not? Because everyone is different in their own way. And to me, I feel like they're kind of, like... It is trying to kind of, like, make everyone's personality the same instead of everyone being different. And I don't like that because I feel like everyone is different in their own way. Everyone is unique, and that's what makes them special. So for me, it kind of feels like they're, like it is trying to take away everyone's specialness. That in some way, everyone is special. And I feel like it's trying to take away from that. It's trying to like subtract everyone's uniqueness away. Yeah, trying to take away individuality. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I don't remember the page in the book, but there's something, something along the lines of like and equal are not the same. Just because everything's alike doesn't mean everything is equal. It's interesting that, that that they use this conformity as a way to express evil. When you kind of think about the grand like scheme of things. Oh, we're going to get real deep into this. I don't know if I want to get that deep into this right it's now. It's okay. But, uh, get deep! <laughs> <laughs> when you look at how and when 
groups or governments try to control large uh, communities of people, one of the ways they try to do that is by getting everyone to conform. And it's interesting because when you think about like school, right? They, they, when you go to school, some schools, they have a uniform policy and everyone has to wear the same clothes. Like at my old school. At your old school. And it takes away some of the individuality. But they do that, you know, to kind of maintain, to, to take some choice away so that you could focus on other stuff like learning as opposed to focusing on what to wear, like what's the newest clothes. Yeah, so so I think there's there's some benefit to conformity, but there's also a big downside because you lose who you're who you are as an individual, um, and everybody's the same, and when everybody's the same, nobody's interesting. Well, actually, sometimes like. They don't all have, like, the same uniform, like, at my old school. Like, and they gave you guys choice, choices. a few more choices there. There are some schools where everybody wears the exact same thing. But you guys had choices where you could choose a different color top, a different color bottom. Um, you had and if you a wanted to wear a skirt or a dress or whatever. You had a few options built in, which is good. I actually like that about your school because even though they had this uniform policy, they did allow you some freedom. Within that policy. Yes. Um, but there are other schools that don't. And that's kind of a, a one. That uh, that's one way, of, like I said, one way to express this kind of controlling evil. And not to say that the schools that have uniform policies are evil. Um, but it's just one way that stifles creativity mm-hmm. and stifles uh, individuality is when you kind of force people to be alike. It actually was a lot easier because now that I don't wear a uniform, I have to take, like, time to, like, figure out what I'm going to wear. And I'm like, I don't know what to wear. <laughs> you, miss, you miss the uniforms? A little bit because it was faster to have choices and to figure out what you want to wear. Yeah. It was just easier. But I do like now that I don't have to wear a uniform, but I wish that it was as simple for me to pick up clothes as it was when I had a uniform. Uh, getting back to their mission, it agrees to take them, or so the man with the red eyes agrees to take them to their father, and they find that their father is in a battle against it and the black thing and is losing, but they're able to save him. Um... By one of the gifts. We never talked about the gifts. Okay. I didn't fully understand the gifts, I'll be honest with you. So maybe you <laughs> have a better understanding than I do. <laughs> um, so what gifts did they, they receive? So, man, so when they get to Kamazots, the Mrs. Who, Mrs. Which, Mrs. What's, it gives each of the three children a gift to help them on the mission. And this is actually what, um, one of the gifts was actually what saved them from the what saved their father from so what, out of the prison. So what were the gifts for each children, each child, if you can remember? One of them was Mrs. Who's glasses. And Mrs. Who gives them to Meg? Yes. Okay. And then Calvin, I believe, was that use your words and your language to kind of, like, talk people out of things, I think. Mm-hmm. But, like, like, use your gift of words. And then Charles Wallace 
was to not get too proud and to not have too much pride because that's what will hurt you, I believe. Okay. I think you're right. And then they use... But, and another, the, the caveat was only use the glasses as a last resort, right? Yes. So what was the other gift that Meg received? I think she received Your one faults. of them. Her faults. I didn't fully understand why she would need her faults. Because, well, I feel like it seems like everyone is perfect in Camelot's. Oh, So, yeah. since everyone is, like, perfect when you're not perfect and you have faults, that gives you a bigger advantage. She could use those faults to fight against it yes. because it was trying to make her like everybody else. Mm -hmm. But those faults are part of what make her different. That's a good one. I like that one. So they, they're able to save their father, like you said, by using the glasses. One of the gifts that they had, it was able to um, wake him up from this prison. Yeah, it looked like he was kind of caught in the black thing. And the glasses allowed them to kind of see through the black thing. And so they re rescue their father. But then, kind of a weird in a weird twist, um, their father agrees to go to see it. Right? Because so far, we've, we haven't seen it. We've only seen the man with red eyes, who's kind of speaking for it. And then Charles Wallace, who starts speaking for it. And Charles Wallace is saying, you need to go to it. And... For some reason, I didn't understand why he was saying that you need to go to it. Well, because I, I think it realized that it needed direct contact with the children in order to control them. When without that direct contact, um, they would be able to fight against him. Like they were able to fight against the, uh, the man with the red eyes by not following the, the pattern, right? By... Uh, and Calvin was able to, to fight him, and they were able to fight um, the first time that Charles Wallace started to open up. They were he able to get shut himself back down. They were able to get him back, right? And a little bit. A little bit. And, and so I think the reason why the man with red eyes wants to take them to see it is so that it can get control, control of them. And Mr. Murray doesn't fully recognize this. He's just going along kind of going along he doesn't un know the backstory it's the first time he's seen his kids in years so he doesn't have the knowledge of what's happened he doesn't really even know charles wallace doesn't understand that the person that charles wallace is being controlled at this point right he thinks it's oh charles wallace says to go so let's go but it's really not charles wallace saying that right it's it saying it through charles wallace so they end up following charles wallace to this dome which has a brain it has it, which is this, has this weird brain, spongy, like pulsating <laughs> thing that, um, you know, tries to take control of them and they fight and they fight. Um, finally, Calvin says, hey, Mr. Murray, you got to tesser us away from no, here. No, I think that was Meg. Uh, Calvin oh, no, says no, it was it. Calvin, yeah. Calvin says, you got to tesser us away from here. So they tesser them away um, at really great cost because they end up leaving Charles Wallace behind and the tessering because Mr. Murray is not as good as tessering not as skilled at tessering as Mrs. Who, Mrs. Witch, Mrs. What's it, 
that Meg gets hurt in the process. Because he's like, you can't just leave my brother alone. Well, you have to save him. Well, I mean, that that's what she feels. But that's in addition to getting hurt. She also realizes that they had they left their brother behind. They have no idea what planet they tested to because... Mr. Murray, again, he's just not skilled at it. So he just kind of blindly testers them somewhere, anywhere away from Kamazots. They wind up on this planet, this dark kind of gray uh, monochromatic planet. Um, I think this planet, what do they call it? Ixchil? This is yeah, another one of the... like, it's very interesting. It's another important location and... Wow, there, there's some really interesting people who live on this planet. <laughs> yes. They're like these weird tall people. Um, I don't even know how to so the way, explain it. The way I, I found this de the description on Wikipedia, and I thought it was important to have kind of a short, succinct description of okay the ex the pe ex the ex ex Chilean people. So they're Exilian people. They're they're characters who Maybe. have four arms. Yes. No eyes. No. Instead of fingers, they have numerous long waving tentacles. Yeah. They're tall, gray in color. They have, again, they have no eyes, so they're sightless, but they're telepathic. Mm -hmm. At first, they don't know that they can trust the Murrays and Calvin when they arrive on the planet. Obviously, they're like strange visitors from another planet who just show up, and so. Um, and like, they have, like,. Earth doesn't communicate with other planets from all the galaxies, so they're like, which wow. They, which they find extremely strange. Yeah, like, that's so interesting. And um, But it's actually normal for them, and weird that they actually, like, communicate with other planets and other galaxies. One of the most interesting things about these beings is that they, they, because they don't communicate with words and sight the way humans do they have it's a hard time describing understanding. yeah it's like um, like i can't see what is sight like what do you mean by seeing yeah so when meg tries to describe things she's trying to describe them based on what they look like what they you know maybe what they sound like but because uh, one of the exilians that calls herself aunt beast yeah they understand things uh, based on like what things are as opposed to what they look like and so they have this really hard time communicating what with sight. with the humans right because humans describe things based on what we see but it's kind of like they have a deeper understanding it's good they aunt beast and her her brethren they see they don't see with their eyes so they feel they feel and they understand they go deeper they like it's like they go deeper into the souls of things and so yeah. they have that's how they're able to I would actually understand like to kind of be like Aunt Beast because then you wouldn't have first impressions of people because you can't see what they look like. And when you can't see, you have to go and dig deeper to find more about them. And so I would actually like to dig deeper to find more about people than just what I see about them i think throughout this book we learn that um the ways that we take for granted the, some of the things that we take for granted as 
um, important things to have, like sight. sight. It's like, oh, so so important. We look at at blind people as being handicapped. In this book, it's the opposite, where they're the blind or the sightless aunt beast is more evolved than the humans who can see. So it kind of turns that uh, concept on its head. And it's really interesting because, like you said, it's... Forcing you to dig deeper into people. It, it gives you... what they're, I think what they're saying in this book, what Madeline Langle is trying to, to show us is that there's our, more eyes, our eyes the can surface. deceive. And, and so... Madeline Langle is very wise. Yeah, if you use your other senses to understand things, it, it it could potentially be more powerful than using sight. It was a really interesting concept. I think that like Aunt Beast and, and the people on the planet are so important to one of the major themes that Madeline Langle is trying to purvey here. So after <laughs> They they've rescued their father, mm-hmm. but they've left Charles Wallace behind. So as we mentioned at the beginning of the book, they excuse me, not at the beginning of the book, but at the beginning of our discussion, now they have to go rescue Charles Wallace. And they realize that the only person who can rescue Charles Wallace, Meg realizes she's she's got to do it because do you remember why? Because she has something that it does not have. Well, I think they all have that, but I think more importantly, well, yeah, she has that. And I think, but I think most importantly, she was, she's going to be the only one that can break through its control of Charles Wallace because she has the strongest connection to Charles Wallace. Yeah. Right. Calvin, they've only known for a couple of days. Well, since this happened. Right. And Mr. Murray has been gone for years and doesn't know Charles Wallace at all. Meg has been there and is closest to him in the family. And as you noted earlier, Charles Wallace has taken the time to Figure get Meg to know out. Meg. Yeah, get to know Meg better. She, she, so he has already developed this kind of uh, telepathic connection with Meg. with Meg. So she realizes, hey, I, I'm the only one who can do this. So I got to go and rescue my brother. So what's the what's the thing that she has that it doesn't have that allows her to rescue him? Love. That's right. Love. Love's powerful. So she opens. She doesn't open herself up entirely to it, but she expresses love. And once she expresses that love like that she, she has. Can't, like she has anger, but that just made her even more vulnerable to it. And then she's like, but I love Charles Wallace. And she's like. I cannot love it, but I can't love Charles Wallace. That's right. So when she does that, it's able. Charles Wallace is able to free himself from its control. Kind of wraps up the wraps book. up the book, and 
we've gone really long here. <laughs> um, and I still want to get to these questions. Okay. Some of them I feel like we've already, like, discussed. Yeah. Little. Yeah, we've definitely talked about a lot of these questions. Uh, questions. So let, let's see here. Again, these are questions that, that I found on the Multnomah County Library website. Um, I think these are really good questions. Um, okay, so this is kind of a basic question here. Would you define this story as science fiction or fantasy? And what are the differences between these two genres? Well, science fiction is more... Like, well, sci-fi is kind of hard to explain. But I can explain fantasy more. Because fantasy is kind is pretty much stuff that doesn't happen in real life. And science fiction, I don't know how to explain it. So to me, science fiction... Hard to explain for me. Because when I think of sci-fi, I think of like kind of like dystopian places, time traveling. So dystopia is kind of its genre on its own. Um, So science fiction is, to me, is really the exploration of things that science is is unknown to science right now. So exploring concepts like time traveling, wormholes, time travel, um, other planets, whether or not there are other galaxies, right? Exploring the cosmos. Um, Oh, and they also say cosmos in this book too. And then, so, and then also exploring the ramifications of those unknown scientific things. Like what happens when you time travel? And um, it gives a new twist on. Uh, and then on also certain things like um, artificial intelligence and what happens when artificial intelligence grows. And What yeah. exactly is artificial intelligence? It's a machine that can learn. It has... Oh, like yeah. a robot? Can do? No, it doesn't have to be a robot. It can be a computer, you know. Like robots we kind of assume are, uh, you know, walking, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Like walking computers. But, uh, you know, your your phone has artificial intelligence in it. You do. Right? And it's not a robot. So machines can have artificial intelligence. You can build artificial intelligence into robots as well. But there are lots of robots right now that, that don't have intelligence. Wait, there are robots now? Yeah. Maybe not robots that, that you you think about, but have you heard of... Um, like the, what are they called? Roombas? Oh, yeah. Roombas are robots? True, and the robots that can solve a Rubik's Cube super fast. Yeah. And they do less than 0.1 seconds, I think. Yeah, really fast. I don't know that fast. 0.3 or something. Yeah. So that's what science fiction is. And fantasy, to me, fantasy is kind of like exploring the unknown world and making a twist on it. Or yeah, it's like, taking it's it's this exploration of things that don't exist on earth. Yes. Yeah, on earth that that we know of. So, um, you know, like vampires are fantasy. Aliens can be science fiction and fantasy because 
you know, whether or not there's extraterrestrial life is science, but then the aliens themselves and what they look like and all of that stuff could be fantasy. Because um, aliens could very much well look like us. They could. We, I mean, we have no idea. So that's kind of the fantasy um, aspect. So I think this book in particular is science fiction and fantasy yeah. at once. It really crosses both genres. Um like, cause when I hear that question, I'm like, well, it's more like both. I'm like, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like it's both, not just one of them. Yeah, it probably leans more towards fantasy, but it does have a lot of science fiction elements in it. Okay, so another question from here is, imagine living in a community that mistrusts and resents you. What is it like for the Murrays to live in a community that doesn't understand them? Well, honestly, I feel like their community really only mis like understands Meg, Calvin, and Charles Wallace. I don't really feel like they misunderstand. Well, I don't really under like know how to answer that question because I wouldn't. I feel like. I would feel like an outcast, and I would feel like no one's like me, I have no friends, I would feel like depressed all the time, I feel like I would. And it's interesting that they decide to stay there and kind of settle there. We, They talked about how the Murrays kind of traveled around based on their work. They had lived in many different places, and then they, they end up deciding to settle in, in this particular community, which they never say where it is. No. Um, so I think it's interesting that they would decide to to settle down there, given that it's not like this strong scientific community. Um, the kids are, like you said, they're misunderstood. They're kind of outcasts. I think even Mrs. Murray, you know, they the community looks on her kind of like, why are you still writing your, to your husband? He's been gone for so long. Like they they they're all misunderstood on on some level. And it's kind of strange that they decide to stay there. And I think that um, eventually they'll they'll want to move. If it were me, like it, if I were living in a situation like I that, where I, yeah, where I where I couldn't connect with any of the people in my community, community that looked down on me, didn't understand me, I'd look for some place where I could feel more at home, more more natural. Okay. So another question from the Multnomah County Library. Who is the most courageous character? Honestly, I feel, I kind of feel like it's Meg. But I feel like all of the characters have some sort of courageousness in them. But in this particular book, I feel like it's Meg. Because Meg is kind of the primary character, I would agree with you. She has to confront the faults in herself. And in order to get them out of there and find the strength within herself to rescue her brother. Mm -hmm. And that was extremely courageous. And, and she recognizes that she has to do it alone. She can't, father can't, come. she can't depend on Mrs. What's it or her father or Calvin or anybody. She's something she has to do alone. And for her to be able to step up to the plate and get it done. And they're very frank with her. They're, they say that it, she could not return, but she she goes and th that took an extreme amount of courage and strength. Yeah, I would agree that that Meg is the most courageous character in this book. 
I think that all the other characters show e extreme amounts of courage as well. We know that Mr. Murray's been fighting against the black thing for years. That took a tremendous amount of courage. Um, but we don't learn enough about that fight to get a sense of how much courage it took. The same with like Charles Wallace and Calvin, both very courageous boys, but we don't know. We, we get a better sense of what Meg has to go through. Like you said, she has, she starts off as this very insecure character. And at the end of the book, she finds the strength, finds the courage to go save her brother. And she's successful. Another question. If you had the opportunity to time travel, would you? Yes. Okay. If you could choose the time, what time period would you travel to? I think you have asked me this question before, but I would love to see what life was like when you were growing up. Oh, so you travel back to the 80s. <laughs> yeah. Or I would also want to travel like in the future to see like what would be what would become of myself. I would want to see like everyone else in the future that I know and if it like if how things that happen right now cuz I feel like everything happens for a reason. And I want to see what would happen, like what would come of what has happened. So either in the future or in the 80s. <laughs> um, I don't know if I would want to travel to the future. I think traveling to the future is dangerous if you know what's coming. Um, but if I could travel to the past, I don't know if I'd, you know, let's, let me go back to the, op the, the first question here was, if you had the opportunity to, try to time travel, would you? And you know what? I don't think I would. I would probably decline that opportunity. Time travel can be dangerous. Like that's one of the things that science fiction we talked about. How science fiction explores these concepts and the ramifications of them. And, and what I understand of time travel, whether you're traveling to the past or to the future, sure, it, it, it could be cool to see um, how things are in the future. Like what technological advances we've made. You know, are there flying cars? You know, that kind of thing. That would be cool. Um, but then yeah, eventually we, you got to return back to your, the present. And so it could be dangerous knowing what happened in the future, especially if you know what happens to yourself in the future. True. And then traveling to the past, same thing. You might change something that has a huge impact on what happens in the future. So, I, man, I think there's just so much danger there. There's so much unknown about it that I, I don't know if I would want to time travel. I'd probably say no, <laughs> you know, unless I could do it in such a way that uh, that I was guaranteed to not mess anything up. Then, you know, maybe I would travel back to. I don't know, maybe back to the 60s. Uh, one more question from the Multnomah County Library. Would you recommend this book to others? Yes. Yeah, it's, a, it's an easy question to answer. Yeah, yeah I, I would definitely recommend this book to others. Uh, I'm glad that I read it again. I'm glad that you finally read it. I hadn't read it in decades, probably. So to get to read it again, it was kind of like reading it for the first time again. And I really enjoyed this book. Plus, I also like the message behind it, which was that love is so strong and powerful. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's extremely, extremely good message in the book. In this fight of good versus evil, love was what tilted the battle to the good side, right? Well, okay. 
That wraps up our discussion. So thank you for joining our discussion on A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. We hope you enjoyed this book. We certainly did. Remember to follow us. Not follow us, but to subscribe. subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play or Pocket Cast. Wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can listen to us directly at fatherdaughterbookclub.com where you can find all of the subscription information. You can also now subscribe to us via email if you prefer to get notifi notified of new episodes that way. Yeah. Yeah, pretty nice thing there. So, again, check us out on fatherdaughterbookclub.com. Oh, and before we forget, uh, we'd just like to let you know that coming up next for FDBC is R.J. Palacio's Wonder, a fabulous book, so please... Go ahead and grab that so that you can join our next discussion. And we'll see you guys next time. Dun, 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 d